Sheep get lost in far-off places. They wander and they wander and they wander until they get stuck somewhere. Further and further they go. Sheep get lost far away. But coins don't. They get lost close by, in the house. They drop in between the couch cushions. They fall behind dressers. They get underneath stuff, and they just stay there. They don't move. They don't go further and further away but they're still lost. Far away, things can get lost. Close by, things can get lost. And what's true about sheep and about coins is also true about men and women. You can get lost far off, and you can get lost nearby. In the wilderness or in the house and all the places in between, a far-off country will certainly do for men and women without the watchful eye of mom and dad and brothers and sisters. Just go to any college town and you'll see it. A far distant land full of wild living and places eager to suck you in, to lose you. But you don't have to venture to far-off places. You don't have to go to Lexington or Louisville. You don't have to go far at all. You can get lost quite easily right here at home. Sheep and prodigals, coins and elder brothers, all can get lost. But all can be found. This 15th chapter of Luke's gospel is one of those chapters, right? It's one of those chapters that we should mark well. It's one of those chapters that's probably rubbed pretty well in your Bible, if you read your Bible like you should. It's one of those chapters that everyone loves. It's one of those chapters that we should return to again and again and again, because here, in the words of Jesus, in this parable, you have so wonderfully set before you the very heart of God. You have wonderfully set before you the heart of your heavenly Father, which his Son has revealed to you and which is being brought into your midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke doesn't say that Jesus told many parables. Luke says that it's all one parable, that the three, which we discern pretty clearly, clearly, are all really one. You pick up on that quite quickly, don't you? The images change from story to story. There's a sheep, then there's a coin, then there's some brothers, there's a shepherd, there's a woman, then there's a father. There are things that are lost and there are things that are found. And in the end, there is the opposite of grumbling. In the end, there is rejoicing. In the end, there is the opposite of distancing. There is a feast with friends and with neighbors and with everyone coming. The same punchline runs through the whole thing. Heaven and all those who dwell therein rejoice over repentance. It's always a joy to hear this, isn't it? It's always a joy to hear this chapter of the gospel, and especially this year on a day when we remember our earthly fathers. For our earthly fathers are to be patterned off of the heavenly father, who doesn't rejoice in toys or in barbecue or in whatever it is that you might give to your earthly father today, but look what the heavenly father rejoices in and see what it is that rejoices earthly fathers to, that their children would live, that their children would have true life, not just that we would exist, right? Not just that we would be there, but that we would have life together with our Father. That is the joy of the Heavenly Father, and that is the joy of every earthly copy. So go back to how we started this morning. 
Notice the different places where you can get lost. Sheep in the wild, coins in the home, the younger son far away, the older son close at hand. Sheep and younger son, coin and older son. That's how I want you to think this morning of the unity of these three stories. For Christ, our good teacher, wonderfully moves us from animals and household objects to humans. And in so doing, he leads you to see yourself in the parable today. First, then, consider the sheep and the younger son. Think of them together. They are quite obviously lost, aren't they? Although, if you ask the sheep, it would just stare back at you. And if you ask that prodigal son, are you lost? He probably would tell you, no, no, I'm quite at home here. Such is the awful reality of being lost. Those who are lost usually don't know it. This is true of plain old physical lostness. A couple of weeks ago, you know that we were on vacation. We went out west, and we were in Colorado at a place called Estes Park. Maybe some of you have been there. It's kind of a little touristy place in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. And our friends took us to this little park there in the shadows of the mountains, and we were going to eat lunch there. And our friends, much like us, have a bunch of kids. So the boys went off one way to do the things that boys do, you know, throw pine cones at each other and play war. And the girls and mom and dad stayed over here and ate our lunch. And we knew the boys were off over here doing something. We could hear them. We could see them every once in a while. But we weren't really paying that close of attention. And in the course of their war, my son Jacob and another boy named Peter decided that they needed to run away from the battle. They must have been beaten or something. And it wasn't until we set out to do our hike, it wasn't until after our lunch that we realized we're missing two kids. That's what happens when you have a whole bunch of them. You kind of lose track of how many you have. But you do a little head count real quick, and you realize, we realized, Peter isn't here, and neither is Jacob. Where are they? So we started yelling their names. We started yelling, Peter, Jacob. We started looking around, and we had no luck. But it wasn't that big of a park, and we weren't too worried because Jacob couldn't get that lost, right? And so finally we found them, and I went over to Jake, and I said to him, son, did you know you were lost? And he just kind of looked back at me and said, no, we were just playing hide and seek. <laughs> it was the whole point was for him to be lost. He didn't realize. Here, mom and dad and our friends were freaking out because our sons were lost, and to him, it was no big deal. Now, suppose someone say the father of that prodigal son, had gone to find his son. Suppose that the father had followed him off to that far distant land and had found him there in the gutter and had said to him, do you know that you're lost? Do you know what he would have said? You know, don't you? Dad, quit being so judgmental. You just don't get it. This is what makes me happy. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. These people really get me. They're my friends. I'm not lost, Dad. I'm found. This is really living. Such is the terror, the tragedy of being spiritually lost. Not just physically lost, but spiritually lost. This is what Jesus calls impenitence. To be lost does not just mean to be somewhere where you don't know where you are, but to be lost, Jesus equates, with being lost in sin. And in penitence, that is a life without repentance, is always blind 
to its lostness. It loves the darkness, Jesus will say in other places. It supposes that sin is actually really living. That's why it takes a shepherd to find the sheep. It takes someone to go to the prodigal. It takes him coming to himself, or rather we might say being brought to his senses by God for that man to realize how lost he really is. And notice, notice then how being found begins. It begins with realizing what sin really is. It doesn't begin by saying, oops, I made a little boo-boo. Oops, no big deal. I guess I messed up a little bit. No, it begins with a realization. It begins by realizing that sin is living death. It is emptiness. It is hollowness. Here is how repentance begins. Here is what it means to be found. It begins this way, with coming to your senses and seeing that life without God, while it might hold out all kinds of promises of happiness and joy and fulfillment, in the end brings nothing. In the end, what did it bring to that prodigal son? Jesus said he longed to be fed like a pig, but he couldn't even get that. Now, maybe you've heard a definition of repentance. Hopefully, you've all heard this, that repentance means to change direction. That's what the word literally means. Or even more literally, it means to change your mind, to change your mind. Here is where repentance begins, with a changing of the mind, with a realization that sin is not fun, it is not full, but it is empty. It is not life, it is death. It is not finding anything, but being helplessly lost. Repentance begins with that realization, coming to yourself, as scripture says. That's how it begins, but that's not where it ends. Repentance does not end in sorrow. Repentance does not end in pure remorse. Repentance does not mean being sad and dreary and full of sadness all of your life. For repentance, turning away from one thing, always leads to something else. But before we can get to the end, to the goal of repentance, I want you to make sure you understand that there is another way of being lost. That happens much closer to home. It happens even within the father's house. This is why Jesus doesn't just tell the story about the prodigal son coming home. We certainly sympathize with that prodigal son. And so quite often in our remembrance of Luke 15, the story ends with the feast and the son coming home. But remember, there is another son. And he is just as lost as his brother. The older son who never left home. He was there with his father every day. But but what do you find? When he speaks to his dad, what is revealed about him? That though he was physically close, his heart was far, far from his father. Can it be? Can it possibly be? Ask yourself this morning that even those who sit in the pews of churches week after week can be lost. Can it be that even those of you who have not fallen into some great open shame or great open vice like the prodigal son can be just as lost as him? Of course, the answer is yes. And it all too often happens. It happens that Christians in the pews are in the same condition on the inside as those who are far, far from the pews. Last week we heard, didn't we, about the danger of making excuses, of skipping out on the great banquet, the divine service, which is our entrance already now into what is not yet in full measure. 
But this week we must note that simple attendance, just getting your butts into the pews, is really not the point. Attendance, if it is not accompanied by attending to the word, doesn't mean that you are found. See, just like that younger son, if you had asked the older one, son, do you know you're lost? What do you think he would say? He'd probably be even more indignant with you than his brother. What, me, lost? I'm not the one running around out on the faraway places. I'm not the one who's squandering my father's life. I'm not the one doing all sorts of terrible things. I'm not a sinner like my brother. You've got the wrong guy. True enough, outwardly, their lives were total opposites. But again, you can be lost even if you never leave home like a coin. And the lostness that Jesus speaks of is not simply physical distance, as if you could ever really be further or closer from God who fills all things. What Jesus here calls being lost is a matter of the heart. It is a condition of the soul, not just the body. And so to be in the pews, to be in the house, so to speak, is not necessarily to be found. See, the older brother had no pleasure in the joy of his father. Neither did the younger brother, for that matter. When he asks his dad for his share of the inheritance, what's he saying to his dad? Dad, it would be better if you were dead. Just give me the stuff. I don't really care about you, dad. I just want your things. But when the older brother speaks, doesn't he sound just the same? Oh, he covers his words in kind of this victim mentality. I never got anything from you, Dad. I was here with you every day. I served you like a slave every day, and you never gave me a goat. What does he show? But that being in the father's house meant nothing to him. Though he stayed, he wished that he could have had his brother's life. Though he stayed in his father's house, he spent the whole time thinking how terrible his dad was to him. The older one had secretly done what the younger one had done so publicly, thinking how terrible it was to have to be in his father's home. His father's company was of no greater value to him than it had been to his brother. There was just as much impenitence, do you see, in that older son as there was in the younger. Mark it well. Mark it well so that you can see that being lost is not about being far or near but it is about your own soul. Mark it well so that you may see also, though, that Jesus loves to find. Note this well. Mark it down in your heart and your mind today. Jesus loves to find the sheep just as much as he loves to find the coin. Jesus loves to receive the younger brother just as much as he desires to receive the older brother. For he is the shepherd who sought far off and brought home that sheep. He is the shepherd who sought you in your sins and instead of kicking you and saying, how could you get yourself so lost, instead rejoices to put you on his shoulders and bring you home. He is the one who is like the woman who left no part of the house untouched, who didn't just light her lamp a little bit and say, well, I looked under the couch and I couldn't find it. I guess it's gone forever. But she swept out the whole stinking house. She would not give up until she found every last coin. Jesus is the one who shows us the heart of the Father, who saw his son far off and ran out to meet him, who cut him off in mid-sentence before that boy could even spit out his long-rehearsed confession. And Jesus is the same father. He is like that father who called out to the sulking, brooding, grumbling older brother 
who would not let him play the victim in his long rehearsed sob story, but instead called him to his senses to come into the joy of his father. For here, here you see where repentance ends. Repentance begins with this realization, with this coming to yourself that sin is empty, but repentance leads somewhere. Repentance turns from sin to the heavenly father. And so we are brought out of darkness into the light. Yes, you can be lost in many places, but when you are found, there is only one place to be. And Jesus can and does find what gets lost, and he brings us all to the same place. No matter where he finds you, whether you have been far off or whether you have been here your whole life, it is to this place that our Lord Jesus brings us, to his altar, to his joy, to his forgiveness. Remember then, Repentance may begin with realizing that you are lost, that you have squandered your father's goodness in open and public ways, or maybe in private and secret ways. Repentance begins there with that sorrowful realization, but it ends in pure joy, for your father rejoices, heaven rejoices, the angels rejoice, all the earth will one day rejoice in this, that those who are lost have been found. That those who were lost in the error of their sins have been found by the Father. Yes, there is joy in heaven over all who are found. And there is also joy on earth, isn't there? There is a feast of repentant joy laid out for you to come to, to find yourself in. For our Jesus, our Jesus doesn't just talk, but he acts And he not only promises us a place in that heavenly banquet, but he begins it even now, even here, even with each and every one of you. Therefore, with angels and archangels, therefore, with all the company of heaven, rejoice this morning. Rejoice and sing. For though we were lost, Christ has found us. And here in his house, as members of his household, he gives us a share in his joy. He gives us life. He gives us singing. For Jesus receives sinners, and he eats with him. Praise his glorious name. Amen.